Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. It's good to be with you both here in Montgomeryville Online. We are week number four of our sermon series, Influencers, man. And we have been talking about, the idea is, hey, if you're going to be alive, you want your life, especially as a Christian, you want your life to have influence. You want your life to point people towards Jesus. You, you want, you, at the end of your life, a great goal for your life is you're not going to be at your funeral. Did you know that? And so, uh, but if you were at your funeral, if you had a chance to look down at your funeral, what you want people talking about is you don't want them talking about your house or your boat or your hair or your accomplishments or, or your possessions or all those things that we spend so much of our life on. What you want them talking about is your influence. This, this, this person influenced my life. This person led me towards Jesus. I remember when this person took time out of their busy life to meet me when I was in a really desperate time. I remember when this person had a conversation that was influential in my life. I want to have influence in my life. And here's the problem with influence is it's not given to you. You have to gain it. And a lot of us won't do the work to, to, gain, to gain influence. And without influence, you live a purposeless life. And so we've been working we're working through these five eyes. Remember, I talked about integrity. That's the beginning of influence. You got to be a consistent person that earns you trust. Trust is what you need for influence. Then we talked about relationships, the interconnection. And then last week, I talked to you about the power of finding somebody to mentor, somebody that you see some potential and somebody to invest in. Today, I want to talk to you on the fourth eye, information. Christians are experts at information. We are experts. We have spent most of our lives, most of our lives as Christians is spent in the classroom, right? Like most of our, if you ask people, what do you, I go to a Bible study and I, and I, and I go to church and I, I read and I listen and I do this. And then you ask somebody, okay, how many people have you led to the Lord? Right? It's like that commercial where they ask the person, remember this older commercial where they ask the girl, uh, they look at her and they say, what, are, what do you have? What, what qualifications do you have, right? This is pre-pandemic. Now, if you breathe, you can get hired, right? And so, but pre-pandemic, what qualifications you have? And she said, I don't have any, but I have a beautiful personality. Remember that commercial? No? She would smile. I have a beautiful, like, well, I don't lead anybody to Jesus and nobody ever listens to me, but I know the book of Romans, the Roman roads. I know I've, read, I've studied Revelation because Christians are always experts in Revelation, I know the Bible front and back. I know every song on the new Hillsong album. I know all of the inf information. And here's what I found out. A lot of times, all of our information leads to very little transformation in our world. You ever notice that? And we'll blame people. Like, yeah, just, they just, they're just not interested in the things of God. They just, people just are not tuned into God. And, and the problem is, when you read about God, when he came to this earth, guess who the majority of the people were that wanted to listen to him? Not the church people. The Bible says when Jesus showed up, the church people stood at a distance and yelled about him. You know who was attracted to Jesus? The sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the down and out, the broken, the demon possessed. Those were the people that leaned in. And so the problem is not Jesus. The problem oftentimes is in the way that we present the information to people. You got to know what you're talking about. 
But what you're talking about also has to lead to people's ears and see and understanding and listen to you to have transformation. I'll give you this example. How many in, in this room, uh, both campuses, maybe online, you can type it in the chat if you're there. How many Lowe's fans do we have? Lowe's? Lowe's? Anybody like Lowe's? Lowe's? Listen, I'm only going to give you two options. You got to vote for one. How many of you like Lowe's? I'm not giving you Target. You're not going to have a chance to vote if you're a girl for Target and so or guy, whatever. And so how many Lowe's fans? Put your hands up. How many Home Depot fans we have? Hands up. Okay. Half of, you, half of you did what I asked you to do. The other half, you didn't. We're going to do it again until you do. How many Lowe's fans? Put your hands up, Lowe's fans, Lowe's fans. How many Home Depot fans? Okay, more of you Home Depot fans. I'm assuming, I'm assuming in Montgomeryville you are as well, right? And so, and let me just explain to you why. If you voted for Lowe's, you put your hand up. You know Lowe's. They have the, they have the blue or red or people in there. You go to Home Depot, they got the guys in orange or girls in orange. Okay, there's a very distinct difference between these two places. I don't know if you knew this or not. They sell the same things, they have the same tools, you know, pretty much, not the same brand, but same, same kind of tools. They have lumber, you need to do your bathroom, they got tile, they got faucets, they got ceiling fans, they got can lights, they, they, they got light switches, they got plants, right? They got all of the same things. You get the same experience at both of them when it comes to what they sell, right? If you ever ask a worker, if you, if you can't find something at Lowe's or Home Depot, like, if, like some of you, especially males, what I found is we're super prideful and you're like, I'm not asking. I'll spend four hours in here looking for a thingamajiggy because I don't want to ask somebody about the thingamajiggy because that's not the right name for it, but I don't care. Like I'll just stop somebody. I don't even try to look. I just ask them, right? And here's why that I like, if you put your hand up for Lowe's, you're, you're wrong, right? And here's, he, here's why, here's why. Both of them have the same thing, right? Both of them get the same things. If you ask somebody for Lowe's, where the thingamajiggy's at? Most of the time at Lowe's, and this is pre-pandemic, my experience, maybe stuff's changed. They will go like this. They will say, it's in aisle six to 10, <laughs> halfway down, depending on where you're going. Look up. It might be down. Stand. You know where this is at. Okay, just go. And you just go, Right? They gave you the information and they just sent you on your way. And so you go, right? You're like, I wish they would have came with me. At Home Depot, if you stop somebody, hey, hey, I don't know where the thingamajiggy's at. It is policy at most Home Depots, pre-pandemic, that if you don't know where it's at, guess what they do at Home Depot? They'll hold your hand if you want them to. <laughs> hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to aisle 10, we go. This kid is lame, he has no brain, hi-ho, hi right? Talk about me, not the worker. And so, right? And they'll lead you right to it. And you'll, here, here it is. And they'll actually hand it to you. One gives you information and says, go. One gives you information and say, hey, I've been there before. Let's go. The information's the same. One says, I think it's over there. One says, come on, let, let's go. Which one do you think's better? Let me answer the question for you. It's not Lowe's. Stop going to Lowe's. Think about our lives. We want to give people information from afar. Just go. Jesus got it. Type it online. Give people our information from a distance, never being close enough to actually interact with them. But there's some Christians that have figured out, I can give you the same information, but that information that I have in my head, it has to go a little deeper. In leadership circles, they call this the travel agent versus tour guide mentality. 
Some of us are travel agents as leaders, as Christians, and some of us have realized that that's kind of effective, but what's better than a travel agent is a tour guide. In other words, a travel agent, what would they do? They'll tell you where the good trip is at. They'll tell you where the best tickets are at. They'll tell you what to do when you get there. They'll give you a pamphlet, run down the options. They'll tell you about somewhere, but here's the ticket. Most of them never been there. A tour guide's different. You'll show up there. You're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I feel like such a, you know, a foreigner in this land. I don't know where the good restaurants are at. I, you know, I, I'm in Rome, and I ended up eating at Chili's because I don't know where the good, you know, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm going, I went to Olive Garden when I went to Rome instead of going to, like, Italian place. And, like, I don't know what to do. And so the, the, sometimes you get to a place, and you go, I need a, I need a what? I need a tour guide. What's a tour guide? A tour guide is going to lead you somewhere they've already been. See, the difference between so many of us when it comes to the information, because the information is not the problem. Let's stop saying that. The truth is the truth. The Bible says the truth is designed to set people free. Jesus will change people forever. The problem is not in Jesus. Oftentimes, the problem is in the way that we present the truth and the information. Too many of us are travel agents. You just go there. You just turn right. You look up and down. And they say, well, have you ever been there? Well, I've never went through that. I've never went through that. I don't know what that's like. I don't even know what you're talking about, but you just go there. Other people that grab you by the hand. I've been there before. I've gone through these things. I've experienced these things. I've had this situation happen. Let's go. I'll show you how to get through this. Same information, different mentality. I want to show you this in, this, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible. You'll be surprised by this, but Jesus had problems with some people. I don't know if you knew this or not. He's Jesus. He's perfect, and he has problems, and he actually had issues with some people. And what's funny about, about church people is most of the time we have issues with the people that Jesus liked and we're cool with the people that Jesus had issues with. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. Like Jesus' main issues were with the religious people. Like if you can read scripture, he hated sin and he wanted to save people. That's why he came. But a lot of times the issues that he had, the arguments that he got in, the debates that he got in, they weren't with, they weren't with the unsaved people or, 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 or the non-Christians or the sinners. They were with the church people. One of the groups of people he had problems with were the Pharisees. And oftentimes in my life, I have found myself being at the seat on the level of a Pharisee without even knowing it. See, what a Pharisee was, is a Pharisee was a super religious person. In fact, by the time Jesus came, they had 600. They had turned the law of God, the perfect law of God, and they had interpreted it into 600 of their own laws that you had to follow to actually be a Pharisee. Like, if you wanted to be who they were, hang out where they hung out, be a part of their club, there were 600 laws that you had to follow. And how many of you know, if you give a human being 600 things they have to do, they're going to mess up? That's the point of the law. God doesn't give us the law for us to go, okay, got that, got that, got that, got that. Okay, I'm good. He gives us the law for us to go, shoot, crap, <laughs> dang, oh no, I deserve hell, Jesus, right? I just summed up the gospel for you. That's the, the law was not broken. The law was given to us to reveal our sinful nature and tell us we need Jesus, but they didn't see it like that. They were like, check, check, got it, I'll add to that, right? So Jesus, he comes at them in Matthew chapter 23. It's one of my favorite chapters, right? Matthew chapter 23, Jesus begins to preach to the Pharisees, about the Pharisees, loud enough for them to hear. It's not like he gathered people and gossiped about them. He starts talking about them right in front of them. The, the Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, 
the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, which was the seat of judgment, the seat of the law. It's not a bad seat, the Bible says. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For what they do, they, what they, 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 they don't do what they say they're going to do. They don't practice what they preach. He says this, they tie up heavy cumbers and loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. They do all this religious stuff, but they don't even serve other people. Everything they do is for people to see. By, by the way, you can start doing a Pharisee checklist. Everything they do is people to see. If every time you do something good for God, you quick take a picture, put it on social media, you might be a Pharisee. You, you might be a Pharisee. If you come here and you act one way and you get in your car and you go back to the fight that you were having with your spouse before you got here, you might be a Pharisee. Not because you got in a fight, but because the whole time you're here, you got the Christian smile on and you're faking it. If you're mad, be mad, get over it, move on, go get lunch after this. Right? But if you, if you act one way around certain people and then you flip and you act another way around different people, you might be, you might be a Pharisee. goes on to say this. This part always cracks me up. He says, they make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They, they got so religious they started making clothing that deemed them religious they got tassels they would tie them they made them extra long right then they had these boxes called phylactery phylacteries and they were basically they read an old testament scripture and the old testament scripture talked about wearing the word of god on your head and they took that literal and eventually they started making boxes and they would roll up scripture you couldn't even read scripture but they would stick it in the box and they would walk around so people would know how pious and religious they were jesus says not only are you wearing those boxes but you have a competition to see whose box can be biggest somebody say i would never do that i'm not that type of person man that kind of crap goes on all the time in churches that is, that, is, that is a great definition of the culture of many church people. You might be a Pharisee, he says. He says they love the place of honor at banquets and most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by, by others. But you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher. You're all brothers. Don't let anyone on earth call you father for you have one father and he's in heaven. And then he goes on to say this in verse number 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he goes to these seven woes. You can read them in scripture. He starts to attack them. He says, you're whitewashed tombs. You clean the outside of your cells, but the inside is dirty. You go, you go all the way to the end of the earth to convert one person to the same faith that you have, yet you make them worse off than before, which is what religion does. Is it an information problem? No. They have the right information. They've missed Jesus by 18 inches. They have them here. They don't have them here. I don't know if you ever noticed this about your own life. You can have all the information in your life and people can be impressed by your smarts, but they are only influenced and impacted by your heart. You can impress people up here. You can quote scripture. You can tell them about all the things that you've learned, all the books that you've read, and you can speak to people and they might be impressed with your knowledge but they'll only be transformed by your heart, the information that has changed your heart. So the problem with the Pharisees is Jesus is going, you have the right information, but you're leading people like the workers at Lowe's do. 
You're trying to point people towards something you've never been. Never been. Your life isn't changed. Your heart isn't different. You always want to be served. You're not humble. Everything you do is done for people to see. You don't understand that what you do in private without the need of approval, of acceptance of other people that God will reward. You miss it. So what I love about the Bible then is Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees, but they're not outside of his redemption. See, if you struggle with the religious spirit and you're like, I don't understand, I got all the knowledge, but Jesus never uses me to change anybody. The cool thing about the Bible is Jesus then saves a Pharisee to become the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. So he has a problem with these guys because they have information without transformation. And then he finds a guy who's filled with information and filled with rage and he changes his life and uses him to impact the world. His name is Paul. And I want to show you the difference because Paul has what I would call tour guide influence. And I want that for my own life. I want tour guide influence in my life. And let me just give you a few thoughts about the life of Paul as we study through some of the things he said. The first thing is this. If you want your information about Jesus to make a difference in other people's lives, you got to understand that your experience is what matters. Your, your experience is what matters. You can't take somebody somewhere that you've never been. You, you can't lead somebody towards Jesus in an area you've never been. Some of you want to tell somebody about heaven and hell and how heaven is important and it's on the other side of eternity and it's where God has prepared a place for you and it's what this world is all about, making sure you're right with God and it's heaven, 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 yet you live the majority of your life outside of church as if this is heaven. You spend all of your time thinking about the temporary. Some of you want to talk about how God will lead you through difficult situations and valleys and all these things. Yet every time you go through a difficult situation, you begin to leave church. You begin to peace out. You begin to waver in your faith. You begin to be like everybody else. You can't take somewhere, somebody somewhere you're not. I don't know if you've ever been to a restaurant and you ask a waitress or waiter about the food and they say something like this. They say, I don't know. I, never, I, I work here, but I never ate any of the food. And you're like, wait, you don't, you don't, you don't smoke what you sell here. You, you, you don't eat here? No, I just, this is a job. I don't know about you, but I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't feel comfortable with, or what do you suggest? I don't know. Just pick something. <laughs> you ever been to a restaurant? I went a few, few, few months back, this, this southern restaurant. It was southern cooking up here, and, and I sat down, and uh, we sat down, and I asked, we asked the waitress. I said, we said, what do you suggest? The menu looked great. What do you suggest? What have you had? And she, she almost pulled a chair. She just sat down. Right? Basically, she was just looking at, she like put her thing, put her book down, put her pen down. I'm like, what's going on? And she just went into this dialogue describing the food. And I, literally, by the time she was done, my mouth was watering. She talked about chicken and waffles and this meatloaf and this and that and the sweet tea. You got to try the sweet tea. And we're just, I'm, I'll take all of it. I'll take everything that you just said. If I will be like you when you're done, when I'm done, I want that, right? And I just thought to myself, do you see the difference? Like one waiter or waitress, I never, I never ate here. I don't know what, I've never been there. Another waiter or waitress, let me explain to you. Let me tell you. Let me show you how good it is. And I want you to understand, if you want to have what I would call tour guide influence in your life when it comes to the information that you have about Jesus, your experience matters. It's not just about what you've learned that helps you change people's lives. It's where you've been, what you've experienced, how you've handled it. In fact, George Barna, he's a much smarter guy than I am. Here's what he said about this. He said, experience is permitted where theology or philosophy is rejected. It's your experience. In other words, we've said for years... People can argue about Jesus. 
They can tell you he's not real. They can tell you that he was fake. They can tell you that he didn't die on a cross. They can tell you that the Bible's fake. They can tell you that when it talks about creation, that's not how it happened. They can tell you science has proven and then proven and then changed and then proven again. And you just got to trust the science and all these things. They can tell you, right? They can tell you about all of these things about God and how they can discredit Jesus also. But here's what they can't do. They can't argue a changed life. There is no scientific answer for the fact that somebody can be completely addicted to drugs and imprisoned by, the, by their past and their hatred and their bitterness and come into the presence of God and something happen in their heart and the imprisonment of that addiction be broken forever. You can't argue a changed life. You can argue all these other things. And so here's what's important. Your experience, your experience matters, which is what Paul says. Paul didn't say, I was a Pharisee, and I was trained in the best schools, and I, I, I was arguing with the disciples, and I threw something down, and then they threw something down, and we apologeticized each other, and they argued me out of my faith of killing Christians, and I decided, you know what, I should stop killing people because they proved my answers wrong, and so I'm in, which is what Christians do, especially young Christians. When I was young, I was like, I'm going to argue people out of their sin. You know what often happens when I'm in an argument with somebody else? If you won an argument with the sinner, you lost the sinner. The point is not to win. The point is to lead somebody to Jesus. And so listen to what Paul says. He's in an argument at the end of his, towards the end of his life. He's on trial with this, this dude named King Agrippa. And, and they put him on trial because they're tired of him preaching about Jesus. They're about to ship him off to Rome where he'll eventually be in prison and then he'll be beheaded for his faith. So King Agrippa puts him on trial and he wants to know and what's so interesting is Paul's answers are not all this apologetics and all of these things. It's all about his experience. I don't know if you've ever read it, but I read it. I want to read you this passage because, man, it, was, it just hit me this week. He says this. He says, I was convinced, Agrippa, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. I was convinced of that. I hated Jesus, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. Where they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Many times I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He's saying, here's who I was before God. I wanted to kill people, he says. And then he says this. He says, on, on one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the, with the authority and commission of the chief priest, and about noon, king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying in Aramaic, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I asked, who are you, Lord? To which he said, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you from, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you back to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. In other words, here's what he's saying. I absolutely hated Jesus. I hated Christians. I hated the church. I wanted to kill them. And on the road to wanting to destroy them, I can't explain it, but I got to tell you about my experience. He spoke to me in Aramaic. He said, what are you doing? Knock it off. You're killing my people, and I want to use you to open the eyes of people. Let's go. Sometimes I tell people, I say, listen, I, I love, I had a great upbringing, 
and I had a, a great life, and I had great examples and, 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 and of, of parents. But man, when I was growing up in church, I wanted nothing to do with it. Sometimes people say, why do you tell people that? Because I want you to understand that it was not information that transformed my life. I heard the truth, the truth, and the truth, and I know it was planted in my life, and eventually it brought forth a, a harvest, but let me tell you what happened. I was on the steps of youth convention when I was 18 years old, and I was trying to walk out to meet my girlfriend because it was altar call time, and I had a Pentecostal youth convention. That's when the crazy happens, and so I was done with that. So I was heading out to find my girlfriend, and I was heading up the steps. The Spirit of the God knocked me down on the floor. Tears began to come through my eyes, and Jesus changed my life forever in that moment. That's why I'm here. Without that moment in my life, information would have never led to transformation. See, if you want, if you want to be a tour guide influence, you got to speak from experience because you cannot take people somewhere you have never been. Let me give you another thought. If you want tour guide experience, here's another one that's important for, for you church, for the church folk. Your example matters. Your example matters. The world is not changed by your opinion, by your brain, by your facts, by your thoughts. The world is changed by your example. That's what Paul says. See, Paul's a smart guy. He's smarter than most of us in this room. He was a Pharisee, but he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a Pharisee trained under the teacher, Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the best of the best. So he was not a nobody. He was not a low in the rank. He was not a D student. He was the best of the best of the best. He could argue with anybody. He could give you information on top of information on top of information. And after he got saved, I don't know if you ever read the Bible. Sometimes I read, especially in the book of Romans. I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying, Paul. You're going to have to dumb it down. You know where I'm going? I'm going to James, right? Because I understand James. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying, right, in this moment. I'm going to trust because you're smarter than me. But here's what Paul says about when he goes and he speaks, especially to the church of Corinth, because Corinth was all about outside appearance. Here's what he says to them, and I love this. It's at Corinthians chapter 6. He says, I put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry was not discredited. Here's what I did to lead people towards Jesus. He said, I was an example in everything. He says, rather as a servant of God, I commend, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in severe love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right and left hand. Through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters. That one always hits me. Known yet regarded as unknown. Dying yet we live on. Beaten yet we're not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. Here's what he says. I live my everyday life as an example to you. I never gave you a reason to discredit the ministry that God has called me to live. And I just need to tell you something. If you want the information that you have in your life to lead to transformation of other people, you got to be an example. You, you got to stop discrediting the truth that you have in your life with the life that you live outside of the church. That's why Paul told Timothy, he said, don't, look people, don't let people look down on you, but be an example. This is his young protege. Be an example. What does he say to be an example in, in, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity? If you want to be a tour guide influencing people's lives, you got to understand it's your experience that speaks to them. It's your example that speaks to them. Let me just give you one more thought. Number three, uh, Jesus matters. Your experience matters. Your, your, your example matters. You got you to be an example, right? I, 
more people discredit the things of God in, 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 in the world and in their life because of the life of Christians. I'm just letting you know. That's why the Bible says to be, to be a witness for me. You know what a witness is in, in a court of, court of law right now? A witness is somebody that they do a background check on, that they find out everywhere you've eaten over the last 40 years. They dissect your life. They dissect your mind. They dissect everything about you. But because before they put you on the stand and use your word to build their case, they want to make sure you're trustworthy. And so many times you don't understand that people are putting you on the stand before they trust what you say. They're looking at your life. They're looking at your example. They look at what you say. They look at how you act and you discredit what Jesus has done and will do in their lives by your, by your example, your example, your experience, and then Jesus. And, and I love this part about Paul because what I found in my own life is uh, as, a, as a Christian, sharing information that feels like oftentimes it falls on, on deaf ears, right? You can almost just get quiet and go, okay, I'm just not going to share anymore. I'm not going to talk about it. Nobody wants to hear about it. And then I'll start to get afraid. Even as a pastor, I'm like, well, you know, sometimes people ask me questions and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Why are you asking me that? Well, is it in the Bible? I'm like, no, nobody's ever asked this question before in the history of the world. You should go to a counselor, figure out why you even think like that, right? <laughs> and, you, and you start thinking like that, like, okay, if I, if I, if I start telling about Jesus, they're going to ask me a question. They're going to ask me about history. They're going to ask me about what this is. And I'm not going to have the answer. So I love the example of Paul because Paul dealt with that in Corinth. Corinth, these people, they always remind me of Americans. And in Corinth, they were obsessed with eloquence. They were obsessed with poetry. They were obsessed with outside appearance. They also lived very loose lives. They, they had an anything goes mentality. They, 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 they had a church, but it was a, it was a lot like the world. And it, you know, people live kind of similar in both situations. It just feels a lot like an American church. Not a lot of life change, not a lot of holiness, you know, not a lot of realness, a lot of, a lot of fakeness, and then a lot of frustration because a lot of times it's like, why don't people come to this church? And, you know, why don't people invite people to this church? And then the truth is people don't invite people to this church because they're embarrassed of their own life. And, all, you know, all these things happen. Like, you just, it just feels like an American church in Corinth. And so Paul preaches in this city, and, and, and he leaves, right? He starts this church, and they, they actually begin to mock him. They don't like him. Paul, Paul, if you would read scripture, it's safe to assume that he, he was probably pretty beat up looking dude. I mean, I don't know about you, but he was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was shipwrecked. He, he, he floated at sea for a few days. Um, he was put in prison. He was flogged, which means he was whipped multiple times. That happened to him. He was probably a pretty gnarly looking dude. And he could have. He could have he preached because he was educated. He could have been eloquent because he was trained, right? But he brought a different mindset to the church of Corinth. And I love what he, he says to them. He, he says, you know what? I'm not gonna bring you smarts and I'm not gonna bring you wisdom. I'm just gonna bring you Jesus. I'm gonna let my experience do the talking. I'm gonna let my example do the talking. But the main thing I'm gonna let talk in my life is I'm gonna let Jesus talk. And I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, so it was with me when I came to you what did he say? I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, right? As I proclaimed you the testimony about God. And here's why I love this part, because so many times this is what we think will reach somebody. Even as a pastor, sometimes I listen back and I'm like, that wasn't a word. 
You mispronounced that. And you work so hard. How can I say this more eloquently? And how can this be more pretty? And what does Paul say? I didn't even worry about that. I didn't worry about being eloquent. I, I, I didn't worry about being, being, being smart in front of you. No, no. What does he say? For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except to Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of whose power? Of God's power. You see, what's cool about your witness and the information that you have is it doesn't rely on the prettiness with which you present it. That's a lie from Satan. You know what it relies on? Your experience, your example, and you getting out of the way and letting Jesus do the work. And I'm just telling you that from the last 15 years of my life. You say what you need to say, you realize you're not gonna save anybody at the end of this service and these words are not your words. And you tell people about Jesus and you get out of the way and you let the Spirit of God do what only he could do. See, that's where information leads to life change. The truth sets people, sets people free. Your experience, your example, and Jesus. And Jesus, would you stand to your feet all over this house and would you bow your heads and close your eyes? See, I think one of the best moments in a life of a believer is when somebody proclaims, that can't be him, must be God. Can't be him must be God. I know him. He's not that good. He don't have anything good to say. Must be God. I've seen that person live. I know who they were. I know how angry they were. They're kind. They're merciful. Must be God. I used to hang out with that person in the same circle and they were so addicted to drugs. And now they're clean. Must be God. Must be God. I mean, don't you think that's what they said about Paul? I remember when that guy used to persecute and curse and kill and, and, and destroy and now he's back and he's preaching the gospel of the same Jesus that he wanted to destroy must be God he's not relying on the wisdom that he learned from religion but he is sharing the truth of Scripture must be God that's influence that's informational influence in your life not a travel agent hey there's where you go here's the answers cheapest ticket here's what they did in the bible that's great what do you do where have you been what have you gone through what has jesus brought you out of has jesus set you free what has jesus given you the power to forgive in your own life what's been your experience hey what type of life are you living friend are you a hypocrite do you play a part do you sit in church and smile and do you leave this place you act the same as everybody else acts. Has you, have you met Jesus with just your head and not your heart? Do you rely on him and only him? Is he who the star of your life is? Is he where you get your, your strength? Do you rely on his mercy and his forgiveness and, and his grace on top of grace? It's Jesus. And listen, we've done the same thing for years and years and years at this church. If you come, you know. We sing, we pray, we preach, then we get out of the way and we let Jesus do what he does. It's all about Jesus, but at the end of the service, only Jesus can accomplish good things. It's not a performance, it's not the prettiness of the words, the articulation, the finesse, 
the manipulation, the piano. It's Jesus. And the Bible promises where two or more gathered in his name that he shows up. And when he shows up, people's lives are changed forever. So how about you? You need him today? You tired and weary? You overcome? You bitter? You angry? You live your entire life in response to things that have been said and done to you. You hear the words repeat over and over and over in your head. You're not good enough. You're worthless. You're a mistake. Maybe you've lived your life in response to those words, trying to prove them wrong. Yet you've just developed bitterness and anger. And it has overtaken your your soul and impacted every part of your life. And you don't know what to do. Turn to Jesus, friend. Give, Give it to Jesus. Ask him to come into your life. And he'll do what he does. He'll heal you. He'll change you. He'll give you purpose. He loves you so much and he was willing to die for you. He didn't stay dead though. He defeated death and hell. And it's through him that we have the opportunity to be a brand new person. So we're going to pray. Same way we do every week. And I'm going to ask you a question. Same question I ask every week. You need to know Jesus. You need love. You need forgiveness, you need hope, you need mercy, you need a new start, you need Jesus. And if as I'm speaking, you're saying yes to those questions, both here in Montgomeryville and online, I want to pray with you as we close. I think there's a very real moment in your life where you realize, I can't do it on my own anymore. And so today, I'm going to give Jesus my life. Today, I'm going to I'm going to leave who I am here and I'm going to walk out a brand new person. I want to pray with you. Everybody's head's bowed. Everybody's eyes closed. I'm going to ask you a simple question. And if your answer to this question is yes, yes, without thinking about it, with a bunch of courage in your spirit and, and in your mind, the decision that I am ready to change. I am ready for my life to be different. When I ask, ask you this question, if you say yes to it, I want you to put your hand straight in the air. And it's just a symbol to yourself, to God, that you're moving forward, that you're becoming a brand new person in Jesus' name. And we're going to pray together all over this place. So how about it? If that you, you need Jesus, you want a relationship with him, are you tired? Are you sick of living the life that you're living? Always searching, never finding. And you're here. And you know he's speaking. He's knocking at the door of your heart. You can feel it. Your heart's beating fast right now. And you know that he is knocking. And you say, I want him to come in right now all over this place, front to back, side to side, here in Montgomeryville. If you would say that to me, without thinking about it, without worrying about it, without wondering about the person to your right or left. Hey, Jesus, I want you to come into my life right now. Come on, all over this place. If that's you, would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. That's me. I see a hand right here, a hand right here. Yes. Anybody else say, hey, pastor, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. If you're in Montgomeryville, you just keep your hand held high for me for a second. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. If you're online, you just type it in the chat right there. We're going to begin to pray all over our houses. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you've done here today. We thank you for your word, that it never returns void. And Lord, we just, we just preach Jesus, Jesus crucified, Jesus risen, the one who saves, and we get out of the way, and we let you do what you do. And so you're here right now, and you're changing somebody forever. Your, your, your word has moved on their heart, and your presence is filling them up. And the Bible says when you fill them up, that they experience joy, unspeakable joy, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a restored hope, 
and a purpose that they've never had. They're not an accident. You've put them on this earth at this time in history to accomplish something historical for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done, all that you continue to do in this church and through this church. As we leave this place, we want to represent you in everything we think, say, and do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, Journey Church. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together all over our houses. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.